morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Friday, December 9th, we are studying the hymn, Hark! A Thrilling Voice is Sounding. That's hymn number 345 in Lutheran Service Book. John came preaching in the wilderness, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So will we listen? This hymn calls us to hear John and every faithful preacher who points us to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Harrison Goodman. Pastor Goodman serves as content executive for the Lutheran youth organization, Higher Things. Pastor Goodman, welcome back to Sharper Iron. How you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Fantastic. So, Pastor Goodman, let's talk a little bit about the season of Advent. What is the importance of Advent, its use for the Christian, both in the church year and devotionally? Oh, Advent is so important and so incredibly overlooked. Advent is a season that, that points out the fact that God shows up. It is the coming of the Lord. Uh, we don't have a faraway God, a God who sits in heaven, and uh, one day we go up to see him if we are good enough when we die. We have a God who shows up to us. Advent happens in, in, in three ways. Um, we, we do have the incarnation, when, when God is born of a virgin and, and, and comes down to earth. We also have the, the God who will return on that last great day. Uh, and we have the God who is, is present, truly present in word and sacrament today with us in, in church. We have a God who is not far off, but a God who is near. And that has uh, all kinds of uses uh, to point out during the, the life of the Christian. It is a connection of God to right now, uh, that, that God would not simply be sort of the, the prize that we get one day, but but now in this veil of, of sorrow, in this veil of tears, we, we can have a God who is present with us and and more, um, who connects us to that future. Uh, it is then a, a connection of, of uh, now, this present day, to the days that that were in the scripture so that we don't feel like we're, we're living as sort of a less of a Christianity than the, the wise men um, who got to go and visit the, the, the young Christ or, or the shepherds who, who got to see you know that the angels show up but we have we have a god who, who is just as present uh, but but even more so present for you in, in the service and a, a connection then to the last great day too that that um we we have a god who who would again not not stab back but but tie us to the victory over death and the grave so certainly that we can even today count ourselves as saints uh it's it's also incredibly important because in this veil of, of sorrow in this veil of tears it hurts um, and, and that kind of pain, that kind of suffering can tend to give us tunnel vision on just this moment, uh, that, that God can be no bigger than, than rescuing me from this one thing that honestly, in 10 years, I, I will only remember as a quaint story, if at all. Um, but is a connection to, to, um, what, what was and what will be, not just is so that the sufferings that I'm going through can be connected to the, the victory that I will have on the last great day, can be connected to the God who worked, uh, to do, to, to heal and to comfort and to save in times of old in the scriptures. In all of these things, Advent, it focuses us on a God who, who is near to us. And that that matters for our devotional lives. That matters for why we would go to church in the first place. Because why would you go to church if God isn't going to show up there? Um, but in all of these things, uh, we get to start singing about it. And, and so I'm thrilled to kind of sit down with the hymn here. 
Yeah, that well, that was a very complete answer, Pastor Goodman. I'm not even sure what to ask in response because you said just about everything I think that could be said about Advent. I I do like the way that you phrased it. God shows up. You know, the the boring answer that that I usually give is the word Advent means coming, which it does. But that that God shows up, I think, is just a, a fantastic way of, of catching someone's ear of this good news for Advent. And we've we've talked about the season of Advent with previous guests being a time of waiting. That you know we need. Our world tends to teach us to rush toward Christmas and to rush toward things. And so this this waiting on the Lord is certainly a blessed thing. But to know that as we wait, he shows up even now, that present emphasis that you you were giving us, I I find that really helpful uh, just just to think about the comfort of Advent. Absolutely. Um, If if all we sort of have is sort of that lull between when when Christmas happened and that last great day, it, it leaves us feeling really left out of, well, the apostolic faith, uh, the, the communion of the saints. It, it's why we dress our kids up in bathrobes as if it's somehow better to live 2,000 years ago than it is, well, for our kids to be raised up to take communion, that they would receive the body and blood of Christ. <laughs> to, to, you're talking about Christmas plays? Of course. Goodman. When else would you do it? <laughs> They're they're shepherds, I think, and Mary and Joseph and and angels. Yeah. That's that's what they are. They wear bathrobes. <laughs> so so the the remembrance of things past. It's it's not only hey, this is what it was like two thousand years ago, and let's try to transport ourselves back there. But no, we 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 worship the God who actually shows up now, who comes to us with His body and His blood, and and as wonderful as your church's Christmas program may be, that is that is what we long for is for Christ to show up. And that I mean, you know, I know we're talking about Advent, but even just Christmas. Christ's mass that he comes to us in his body and his blood. I, I know that there are, are this year with Christmas falling on a Sunday, it seems that there are usually debates out there. Should you have church or not on Christmas with it being a Sunday? And that always kind of makes me scratch my head. Why wouldn't you have church on Christmas, especially on a Sunday? And and even if it's not on a Sunday, that's the, the whole point is that he comes and he's coming right here in his body's blood. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's what connects us to all of those those people, the, those characters from the, the, the narrative of the scripture. It's that the very same Jesus is, is present here. Uh, so whether or not you should have church on Christmas, if it happens to fall on Sunday, the question is, should you have church because it's Christmas morning or should you have church because it's, it's the Sabbath day? And the answer to both is yes. That's right. You should have church because that, as you said, that's where God comes. And, and that's the whole point of going to church. If, if God's not going to show up at church, then, well, what's really the point? But if he is going to show up and he's going to show up with his gifts, then yeah, that's the place you want to be, Christmas or not. Go to where God shows up. And that is the God we worship. The season of Advent helps us to receive him in faith. So, Pastor Goodman, I, I'm, I'm sure you have a good answer to this, and I'm sure it's very exciting. What's your favorite Advent hymn? Thank you for asking me this because they get passed over for the Christmas hymns so much and the Advent hymns are, they're bangers. The Advent hymns are so great. And I know we all want to to sing Silent Night, but just take a minute. There are so many good ones. So I had to sort of go into the back catalog. Um, I couldn't just go Savior of the Nations, come or O come, O come, Emmanuel. But my favorite Advent hymn, my truly favorite Advent hymn is O Savior, Ren the Heavens Wide. Uh, it, it's it's wonderful to to sing this one because it, it confronts just head on sort of the, the doom and gloom and woe and doubt that exists down here for us today. Um, if we sort of only have the, this sort of peaceful understanding of God or this joyful expectation of the last day, again, we're, we're sort of stuck in the in-between. 
And we have a God who shows up in the in-between. Our our Lord would confront woe and doubt and despair with the promises of what was and what will be and even is now. So that that as we, we live in this world, we can find Jesus here. Oh, Savior, rend the heavens wide is, is great because it, it connects sort of the, the sky being ripped open with uh, the angelic chorus singing to shepherds with the, the sky being ripped open on, on the last day when Christ returns on the cloud in judgment. Uh, it, it's it's everything that, that we go looking for when times are scary uh, because God will not stay away from us even now. I, I'm, I'm with you that I think sometimes Advent hymns get overlooked because we're we're so ready to sing Silent Night or Away in a Manger or Hark the Herald Angels Sing, all, all of which are, are fine hymns. We have some fantastic Christmas hymns that we sing, but but don't skip over the Advent section because there because there is such comfort. As you you were saying, you know, the, the this time of year there is often great hurt. I mean, even with all the joy that there is at this time of year, the the pain that we know from grief is often magnified, and the Advent hymns the way they speak about God showing up, God coming to us, provide a great comfort to us in the midst of, of such a season. So number <clears throat> number 355, that's that's your favorite. I always enjoy hearing pastor's favorite hymns because they're not always mine. And so it's, it's nice to hear what others like and, and why. It helps me to appreciate all of this wonderful Advent hymnody. Today's hymn, Hark a Thrilling Voice is Sounding, we get to encounter a familiar figure in, in the season of Advent. We're going to be thinking a little bit about John the Baptist again, before we look at the hymn itself, talk a little about the role of John and why he's such a central figure during the season of Advent. So John is the forerunner to the Christ. He, he is the, the last great prophet uh, before Christ begins his, his ministry. It is his job to, to prepare the way of the Lord. Uh, and so what, what he preaches then is, well, it's, it's, it's Jesus, it's law and gospel. He, he points out very clearly, look at, look at how things are going right now and, and look at why. We can, we can find our sin there, but then he points to the promised Messiah. Uh, and here it, it becomes not only a terrifying voice, but a thrilling voice. Uh, because when John preaches, he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christ is near. Uh, and, and that actually means something. Okay, so let's go ahead and take a look at this hymn. Again, this is number 345 in Lutheran service book, Hark, a Thrilling Voice is Sounding. This is stanza one. Hark, a thrilling voice is sounding. Christ is near, we hear it say. Cast away the works of darkness, all you children of the day. That is stanza one of the hymn, Hark, a thrilling voice is sounding. So, Pastor Goodman, here we, we get one of those words that we sing in more than one hymn, but perhaps we don't always stop and appreciate what it means. This hymn starts with the word hark, and there's exclamation right after it. What does hark mean? Uh, shut up and listen. Uh-huh, is kind of the nicest way to say it. Uh, like, just, just stop for a second. There is something really, really important going on here. All right. So listen, pay attention, listen up, hark, a thrilling voice is sounding. What are, what's the thrilling voice that's sounding? This is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way the Lord, make his paths straight. Uh, this is the, the quickest allusion again to, to John the Baptist. Uh, you have this uh, foretold by the prophet in Isaiah 40, recognized in Mark chapter one as well. Uh, but at the same time, uh, this this carries forward. And that's important to recognize that the, the scriptures were not a, a past book and they are not either sort of quarantined to the times just of today, but but God's word is given for all of the saints uh, until, well, he comes again. And, and so we can't simply say this is uh, a, a thing for the, those who went out to the River Jordan to hear once, but it's the very same thing that your pastor says to you in church. 
hark a thrilling voice is sounding. Christ is near. This is, this is what your pastor will preach every single Sunday. Look, God is adventing right here in your church, right here for you to forgive you your sins, to, to, to confront the, the evils of, of darkness, sin, and death uh, with, with the light that the darkness cannot overcome. Yeah, I mean, as I was looking at this hymn, you know, I I know it's talking about John the Baptist, just given the context of when it is sung during the season of Advent and the readings that we're hearing. And, and even when you look at the message that is proclaimed by this thrilling voice, clearly John is in mind for the hymn writer. And yet, as, as far as I can tell, John is not explicitly identified as he was, say, in the previous hymn, number 344, on Jordan's bank, the Baptist's cry, the hymn here never makes that very explicit connection to John. And I, I, that made me think of precisely what you were talking about, that that means that I'm not just going to picture myself on the bank of the Jordan River listening to a man wearing funny clothes and eating strange food. <laughs> I also need to be thinking about the pastor who's standing in the pulpit, the one who's proclaiming the word of God to me right now. His is the thrilling voice that I need to listen to, that I need to heart, to shut up, to be quiet and pay attention to what he's saying. It's, again, it's, it's not just some historical reality reality that I have to somehow transport myself back to, but here is God showing up with the message for me right here and now. Right. The rest of the stanza is going to point to this as well. Cast away the works of darkness, all you children of the day. That, that's that's you. That's me. That's that's us. And so uh, Romans 13 came to mind for this, if, if, if I may, uh, beginning at verse 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is gone, the day is at hand, so let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Salvation is nearer now than even it was when John was out on those banks preaching. Uh, so so what matters then is, is the confrontation of light, and darkness, that, that we who, who were born into darkness and sin have been told to wake up, wake from sleep. Uh, and, and then we recognize that this doesn't simply happen by, you know, making better choices, by, by simply being better behaved in public or, or even in private, but ultimately to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how we confront all of those things, because even as Christians, we, we struggle with even these, these sins that are hard to name uh, because they exist in our hearts, whether or not they make it to our hands. They, they, they exist in our hearts. And so over and over again, the, the answer is until that last great day, put on Jesus Christ, wake from sleep, um, cast off the works of darkness every single day in your baptism. Every single day, you would be born anew as a child of the light. Uh, every single day, the new man would emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity for us. Yeah, I mean, the, the connection to what Luther says there in, in the fourth part of baptism, I think, is just right on. And and it is, it's quite striking to, you know, okay, I'm thinking about John here, the preacher in the wilderness. And then in the quotes in the second part of the stanza, those are words that are lifted, I think, primarily from St. Paul there in Romans 13, as, as you read for us. And it, it caught me that 
that it's addressed to the children of the day. So this is this is not the voice that is preaching to rank unbelievers, pagans who know nothing of Christ, but this casting away the works of darkness, this is being preached to Christians, to the children of the day, because we do still struggle with the sins of the flesh. We, it is a constant, I mean, again, to go through the fourth part of, of baptism, it's a daily thing to, to have that old man drowned and then the new man emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever, this is a message that's being preached to Christians. Right. And that means then uh, we actually have a place for our sin. That this is, this is important. I know that you shouldn't have it. Uh, neither should I. But, but since you do, what do you do with it? And here, um, uh, we could also go to Ephesians chapter 5, where, where Paul says that uh, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We take our sins into the light, that, that they, they would be, uh, the darkness would be eradicated, that the sins would be forgiven, and that we would be near Jesus. The temptation with these things that do exist in our heart is always sort of bury them deeper, hide them. Uh, and the thing is that just puts them further into the dark. Uh, Advent is, is also a season of, of, well, light confronting darkness. And so since these things exist, we take them into the light so that they can die, so that we can wake, so that we can rise with Christ. Hmm. But but men loved darkness rather than the light, Jesus says. It's much more comfortable in the darkness, it seems, Pastor Goodman. Always. Uh, because this is this is what I think can actually save me. There, there's this awful thing inside of all of us that wants to justify ourselves, that wants to save ourselves. And, and since I know that I am not light of myself on those really dark days that I have, all I can do is sort of hide that thing a little bit deeper and hope that nobody else sees it. Uh, the idea that God would advent then becomes actually terrifying to us because I don't want light to be shown on my darkest deeds. And he makes it a gift anyway. Um, he, he, he comes in, in, in mercy and not simply in wrath. He, he comes to, to, well, drag those things that I would bury deep away from me, to leave them buried at the foot of the cross and not deep within my heart. Uh, what, what's wonderful about a, a season where light is, is brought into darkness, whether or not we ask for it, is that even though I love darkness more than light, uh, God loves me. And here it, it starts to be his desire and not simply mine that rules the day. Hmm. And so this is the preaching of John in the wilderness. It's the preaching of Paul in his epistles. This is the preaching of your pastor from the pulpit. Cast away the works of darkness, all you children of the day, because Christ is near. That is that is the message. God is showing up for you. This is the message of the thrilling voice sounding in the wilderness or in your pulpit still today. Let's take a look at stanza two of the hymn. Startled at the solemn warning, let the earthbound soul arise. Christ, its sun, all sloth dispelling, shines upon the morning skies. That stanza two of the hymn, Hark a Thrilling Voice is Sounding. So we started off with the word hark, be quiet, listen, and I'm now startled, startled at the solemn warning. Thanks in that first phrase. Yeah, um, startled, terrified would be another really good word for it. Um, because I, I, when, when you sort of grab these things, uh, these, these birds in English are, are um, almost... Uh, they, they sound a little bit different, but there, there's a one Greek word that, that would connect the two of them. Uh, and, and so when we're sort of confronted with this, we get to recognize something. Uh, it's always God who seems to scare us, only so he can turn around and say, do not be afraid. Um, it, it, what if the angels shone on, on, on the shepherds just a little bit lower key? Like, did they have to just like boom into the sky and scare him half to death so that they were so afraid? The answer is quite simply, yes. Um, 
yes, we actually do need to be startled or, or terrified away uh, from those things of darkness, away from those things that that we will naturally flock to. Uh, and it's it's a good thing. Uh, we'll go to uh, Luke chapter 21, verses 8 and 9. Uh, he said, See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place but the end will not be at once. That um, th- there are wars and rumors of wars, that there are great distress uh, on the nations in these last days. And that's a gift. That That's a gift because it, it terrifies us away from these things. Um, so that whenever you, you have somebody who is terrified by an action that God does, he immediately shows up then and, and, and comforts us. That the fear, the startledness, uh, that the terror is actually it's good because it wakes us up away from ourselves. It, it pulls our, 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 um, our, ourselves away from being curved in on our, well, our own selves. But we're not supposed to be terrified forever. We're not supposed to be tartled, startled forever. We don't remain paralyzed by fear. But instead, after we're, we're woken up, uh, God comes and comforts us. And he, he draws near to us that, that we would find hope yeah, I mean, so this this startled business or this terrified to be afraid, as you're you're pointing out, it's not just being afraid of the of the wars or the rumors of wars, but it's actually the the fear that comes knowing who stands behind it all. I mean, so really, what we're talking about here is what is it the proper fear of God? Talk a little bit about that proper fear of God, scripturally speaking. Right. Everybody downplays it. So we say, you know, we, we know we have to fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And there's this temptation to teach little children that just means like that's like a healthy respect. Um, and, and no, that that's not enough, that that's not what fear means. And they actually know what fear means. Kids are actually real good at being afraid. Uh, fear is, is simply the recognition. I cannot control this for the life of me. And, and so that means if it's set against me, woe to me. Uh, you cannot control God. To, to fear the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, is to recognize that, that not only is, is he something that you cannot control, but he's also something that is, that is so much more powerful than you that, that you could not even hope to. Our hope is not to control God, but it's that God is good so that we don't need to control him. Uh, this is how fear, love, and trust can all coexist together. God, um, it, it's the old C.S. Lewis bit, but, um, Aslan is, is not a, a, uh, tame lion, but he is a good lion. It, it's it's a good explanation for this. Um, but we we have a God who exists in a way that won't let us be God, won't let us be in control. And that's actually a gift, especially if you consider all the things that we do when we get an ounce of power and control ourselves. Hmm. So, okay. So startled at the solemn warning, then let the earthbound soul arise. So is that the, I mean, the, the second half, that's the kind of the do not be afraid part of the, after God has said, here I am, you're, you're afraid. Then the second part is the do not be afraid. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Lift up your countenance, lift up your eyes to the skies and recognize there's, there's more than just this. Uh, we, we exist uh, uh, in this world right now, but we will, we will rise on the last great day to the new heavens and the new earth and the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Let your concerns be of more than just this one thing. And so use the warning then as a, as a gift, uh, because God gives this, this well, solemn warning that startles us as a good gift. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the connection to Luke 21, where after, I mean, you've already mentioned part of it. And then, you know, when Jesus will say later, when these things are taking place, don't look down, but actually lift up your heads because you know, your redemption is drawing near. So that idea of, of arising, I think it, at the transfiguration, when Peter, James, and John, they fall down in fear. And then after it's all over, Jesus touches them and he tells them to get up. So, I mean, another example where you have the, the right fear of God and then comforted, do not be afraid because this one who has made you afraid and rightly so he is good he is here to save you again i mean god shows up is that good news or bad news well yes i mean yeah he's he's coming to to condemn your sin but he's coming to save you from that sin as well right but it makes us so much more bold lift up your head it's a call to courage too um not simply to sort of like you know um just even though you're scared do the right thing but again a recognition all of these things are falling apart but these things cannot hold you down because they've already been undone in the Christ who has a victory over all of them lift up your head because these are not a measurement of God's providence these are simply pointing to the fact that his providence has already exercised its control so firmly that the end is near the last great day is at hand so be not afraid live out your life in in a joyful confidence that Christ has already saved you hmm. now the the second part of this stanza gets back to a darkness light imagery Christ its sun all sloth dispelling shines upon the morning skies take us into that last phrase sloth is an important word here um it, it's uh you might know it is like one of the the supposed seven deadly sins and and we don't necessarily number them we we count to 10 instead there are 10 commands but there's something to be said about sloth, about Acadia. Um, it's not simply being lazy and watching Netflix too much. Uh, but, but sloth is really, it's a condition of the heart. Uh, it's, it's hopelessness. Uh, sloth is the idea that it's not even worth trying for. It is such a, a despair that has been rooted so deeply inside of you that it robs you of all energy to do anything. And it's something that, again, especially this time of year, I know it's Advent, but everybody's got Christmas on the mind. If, if this is one of those hard Christmases for you, sloth is one of those things that, that creeps in when it's hard to put up the tree because it reminds you of what used to be, when it's hard to go out in public because everybody is happy and you are not, when it's hard to go to church because everybody's, well, comforted and you just want to curl up into a ball and cry. These are the times when we actually need to be lifted away from ourselves, when when the, 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 the darkness of sloth would need to be dispelled, not simply again by our efforts or our reason or our strength, but with a God who shows up, uh, Christ, its son, all sloth dispelling, that light would be brought to darkness so that even in the midst of, of those hard Christmases, you can actually understand the whole point of this. This is a connection between heaven and earth with the God who advents, who, who comes to connect heaven and earth by his presence, because heaven is not a cloud. Heaven is wherever Jesus is. And our Jesus comes to earth. He's born of a virgin, but our same Jesus comes to earth for that, that mass, that Christ mass. Uh, that that body and blood meal that you are given even on Christmas Day, which is a Sunday, which is awesome. Go to church. Hey, uh, but because here you are not alone, but you are connected then even to those who have have felt the sting of death and then moved past it. Uh, for for those those years where it's hard to put up the tree, for those years where it's hard to to sing the carols, for those years where it's hard to do much of anything. Uh, we are again called to look outside of ourselves. We are shown something outside of ourselves. And again, though the person running the verbs here, uh, it is worth pointing out that that sloth is not dispelled by anything other than whether you like it or not, Jesus is going to to 
turn on the lights. Uh, it's that alarm clock in the morning. I, I do very much want to stay in bed and sleep in and, and just pull, pull the covers over my head. But the light is now shining too bright. I am awake. And, and thanks be to God for it, because now I can go about the day. And, and once you're up, once you had your coffee, you can look back and say, all right, maybe it was a good thing that the lights turned on. Um, this, this is great because it's not sort of God asking for permission to, to come into our hearts and make us Christian, uh, but, but rather he simply turns on the lights and let the chips fall where they may. Mm, and what a wonderful thing that our Lord and Savior comes to dispel that sloth to bring his light into our lives. We're going to keep looking at this hymn on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Harrison Goodman this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, December 9th. We are studying the hymn, Hark, A Thrilling Voice is Sounding. It's number 345 in Lutheran Service Book. And our guest today is Pastor Harrison Goodman. He is content executive for Higher Things. Pastor Goodman, prior to the break, we were looking at stanza two. Let's now turn to stanza three. See the lamb so long expected comes with pardon down from heaven. Let us haste with tears of sorrow, one and all to be forgiven. That is stanza three of the hymn, Hark a Thrilling Voice is Sounding. So see the lamb so long expected. Who is the lamb so long expected? Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We got another John the Baptist line here, and that's, that's a keeper. Um, that the lamb is here to, to be sacrificed. The, the lamb is here to die. Uh, we, we are, what, a chapter into John, uh, John one twenty nine. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He points right out. It's a big spoiler. You know what lambs do if you've been paying attention in the Old Testament. He points at Jesus and he said, Hey, that guy there, he's going to die for you. Um, and to, to everyone who has ears to hear, uh, we have a God who shows up then with a purpose. Uh, Christ is near. We hear this voice say. Uh, and it, it explains then what the Christ is, what the Christ does. It, here, we, we have a, a God who shows up with a purpose and, and a purpose that is, is known to us to be a comfort. Uh, again, in, in my own works of darkness, the idea that God would just show up and catch me in them, it's terrifying. A God who advents when I am not prepared for him and I'm in my sin, I am not prepared for him is, is an utter terror. But we have a God who shows up to take away the sin of the world. He, 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 uh, he's adventing with, with a explicit and, and clear purpose to take away your sin, to take away my sin, that when God shows up, when he, when he, when he draws near, uh, it, it can be something that I can say is actually a good thing. Uh, because now God is not here simply to punish me or to catch me or to condemn me. 
but to save me from myself. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world means that I can actually say the problem is not the world. The problem is the sin. And, and well, the world is only the problem because there's sinners in it and, and I'm one of them. When so Luther lays out, you know, the devil, the world, and my own sinful flesh, um, all of these things are confronted here by the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The devil is confronted by, well, losing his, his power to accuse us for our sin. Satan can no longer be the, the accuser because, well, Christ has become the greatest sinner of all. He takes upon himself all of the sin of the world and he takes it to the cross. And there he, he atones for it by perfectly fulfilling the law in our stead and dying our death that we would have his resurrection. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now the world is simply not the, the, the place that, that is here to, to be a hurt and a bother, uh, but that everything that, that has come to, uh, to, to frustration, to ruin, to corruption when Adam and Eve sinned way back in the garden and everything that we have contributed to it since would, again, uh, we, have, we have a God uh, who, who comes to the world. He, he, he comes into the world and he redeems the world. He bleeds and dies for all of creation, and all of creation is now waiting with, with eager expectation for that last great day. Uh, and so finally, I can actually confront the root cause of it all. It is my own sinful flesh. This, this is really the problem. If I was not a sinner, the devil could torment me, but he could never accuse me. If I were not a sinner, the world could do nothing at all to me that, that would ever catch my attention because my eyes would be so fixed on Jesus. But in my sinful flesh, I need death and resurrection. And so the Lamb of God advents to take away the sin of not just my heart, but of all of the world. Hmm. As you said, if you've been paying attention in the Old Testament and you hear John call Jesus Lamb, then you know this one is going to die for you. And, and particularly the language of this third stanza, calling this Lamb the long-expected one, of all the Old Testament accounts that that I, I think of when it comes to lambs, the, the Lamb that was expected— I would I would think of Genesis 22 where where Abraham tells Isaac that God will provide the sacrifice and and sure enough he does that God as as you said God shows up he keeps his promise and he does provide that lamb so that Isaac is not killed but the the, the ram is instead so now in Jesus here is the long expected one going all the way back to Genesis 3 that the long expected nature makes my mind go to Genesis 22 of all the Old Testament accounts of of lambs being sacrificed. I like it a lot because it's, it's a, a direct confrontation with all the things that we're afraid that God would show up and demand from us. Um, like we hear this story of Abraham and Isaac and, and we recoil at it. We, we utterly recoil at the idea that, that our sins would have consequence, that God would actually demand they be paid. But like, tell the story of Abraham from Sarah's perspective and tell me this isn't like an abusive marriage. Like all the way through, we, we know the things that, that Abraham has subjected her to. Like, why would they not have consequence? Why, why would sin not break stuff? But God in his mercy, he, he does not come then to exercise judgment, but to, to suffer it himself. He, he not only provides the lamb, but becomes the lamb. And so here we, we have a God who confronts like very, very real terrors of our own hearts that God would come and take too much from me. Uh, but instead, well, the law demands more than I can give, but the gospel, it would, it would provide everything that the law demands. Here, the Lamb of God is, it is the gospel, a confrontation of a law that I cannot fulfill and quite frankly don't want to get too near to to even have to try, to a God who has fulfilled it in my stead and gives me the forgiveness of sins that would dare me to look at my neighbor and say, this is not no, this is no longer a challenge or a measuring stick or, or something to, to lose, but this is a soul that Christ has redeemed that I should, I should also love. Yeah, and then the fact, as you pointed out, that God, this lamb comes down from 
heaven with pardon. This is the gift that he has. You, know, you mentioned your favorite Advent hymn was, Oh, Savior, rend the heavens wide. Well, if he, he tears open the sky and comes down, what's he bringing with him? Not lightning bolts, not thunder, not the not the sound of the trumpet. This isn't Mount Sinai here. This is God coming down as the lamb to pardon, to forgive. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, so this, again, is the message of the faithful, thrilling voice proclaiming Christ is near. Look, there's the lamb you've been waiting for. He's coming with pardon. What then? What then do you do? The rest of this stanza begins to tell us, let us haste with tears of sorrow one and all to be forgiven. Take us into the second part of the stanza. The tears of sorrow kind of stood out to me uh, because like everybody talks about this as the good news. Um, but the tears of sorrow are actually a, a good thing, even if they don't sound like it, because, well, they mean we care. This is this is the opposite of sloth uh, in the previous stanza that cares about nothing. And you, you've understood this if you've hurt bad enough that you would just wish to feel numb. Feeling numb is way better than hurting. But but here, uh, it's no longer simply like wishing away pain, but having a place to take it. Let us haste with tears of sorrow, take our sins to Jesus, that they would be forgiven. Uh, John 16 speaks this way. Uh, truly, truly, just Jesus says, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. This 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 jumped out at me because while you, you not only have sort of the, the idea of, of sorrow being turned into joy, but even the the, the real pains that it's connected to. Um, the, the woman who is giving birth has pains because of the fall. This is this is actually one of the, the explicit things that our, our Lord would would speak to the serpent in front of Eve in Genesis chapter three. Childbirth, it's it's gonna hurt now. Uh real sorry. Uh but but it, it's just gonna. And so that's awful, but the hope is not that we would remain in this, but that God would confront it with joy. There are things in this world that hurt that come of sin. Take those things to Jesus, and then your sorrow will be turned into joy. Don't simply bury it. Don't simply numb it. But but with these things that, that hurt, now you have a place for them. Take your sins to Jesus. And that that is so much better than just trying to numb it yourself until you don't feel anything anymore. Because numb might feel a little bit better than hurt, but joy feels a whole lot better than numb. And and so with this good news, let us haste, let us go quickly. Now again, the tears of sorrow, as you said, rightly understood. What a what a wonderful promise. Yet the the haste, let's go quickly. There's the the shepherds who heard the news mm-hmm. and ran to see the infant child. Thinking of of John, it's not long after he proclaims, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." That some of his disciples get the clue and say, "Oh, let's follow that guy. Let's follow." Jesus, that's that's the right response, is to haste, to go quickly after this one who has come to take sins away. Right. We we never have a, a God who, whose purpose is unclear, uh, but we have a, a, then a God who's also very, very direct about the things that are hurting us and killing us. Even then from, well, the, the shepherds who with haste went to see the Christ, it's because that baby there was God who showed up. It was adventing. It, it, was, it was God adventing. It was a place then to take your sins, your fears, and, and everything that is killing you, because that that child was born to die for you. Mm, yeah, and and this is to die for you. Well, well, who's the you, Pastor Goodman? This hymn answers one and all to be forgiven. As you've been saying, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the 
the world. Are you a part of the world? Then this is for you. Absolutely. Uh, it, it, we, we always sort of expect our, our sins and our pains to be so utterly unique that, that nobody could really understand them, let alone carry them for us. Uh, but, but here we, we have a, a wonderful, wonderful thing in, in that our Lord tells us our sin is kind of boring. There's, there's only 10 simple ways to do this. I know we're very excited by it because we're sinners. But look, these are just 10 simple ways that you have broken God's creation, that, that you have, have caused death and despair in the world. And they're, they're you know what, they, they all been done before. So our Lord doesn't come then to, to sort of set you aside as, as uh, special, but he, he comes to collect you as beloved. Your sins might not be um, all that interesting, but your, your Savior is. Your, your Savior shows up then to, to collect you by forgiving you in the same way that he forgives everyone else. And here again, you never have a sin that is too foul for Jesus to draw near to, to, to save you from it. And you can never also be sinned against in a way that leaves you too unclean to be loved by God. This matters when we feel alone and cut off this time of year. This matters when we feel unclean because we might be heading into church or taking somebody into church with us who has not been in a long time. You have a God who, who draws near to sinners to save us, each and every one of us alike. What, what sweet, precious gospel spoken here in this hymn. So the, the third stanza, if you pay attention to the punctuation, which maybe isn't something that we always do when we sing hymns, you'll notice that in Lutheran Service Book, the third stanza actually ends with a semicolon, meaning that we want to continue this thought. So we're going to haste with tears of sorrow to be forgiven. And then stanza four continues that thought. So when next he comes in glory and the world is wrapped in fear, he will shield us with his mercy and with words of love draw near. That's stanza four of the hymn, Hark a Thrilling Voices Sounding. So Pastor Goodman, how does stanza four pick up the thought where we left it off in stanza three? It connects the now to the not yet. Again, it sort of pulls us away from the tunnel vision that is a world that hurts or, or a sin that consumes us. Uh, but here we are connected both, both to the now and not yet uh, in Jesus, who in forgiving us our sins, grants us life everlasting. And we know those words are connected together in church, but what they mean are, are that of all of the things that, that are, are causing us to cry right now, none of them can, can stop us from inheriting the kingdom. Of all of the things that, that are, are breaking the world right now in our sin and in the sins of our neighbor, when God does show up again in glory, when all the world is wrapped in fear, in the same way that we are forgiven, we are shielded in his mercy. Uh, when, when God speaks to us, he speaks words that are given of love. Uh, and, and so we can, we can go to Luke chapter 21. I'll, I'll go to verse 25. There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars on earth, distress of nations, perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up. Lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. This is, this is again, the posture of the Christian. We, we bow our heads to God. We lift them up to the world. We, we bow our heads to God for mercy. We take our, our sins to Jesus in, in tears and, and then find joy in he who confronts them with forgiveness. But then when we look around the world and, and all of the world is terrified and all the world bows their heads down to, to the world and tries to lift them up to God in, in idolatry, we have the opposite posture. We're not afraid of the world. We're not afraid of the wars. We're not afraid of all the things that are happening. All of these things have happened for so long that every single generation has looked at them and said, I know that this is actually today. Luther said, I know that this is Germany. And everybody says, I know this is, this is the war going on in the Ukraine. And in the reality is God is just sort of chuckling because 
all of the, the things that are happening that everybody thinks will be the end of the world cannot be because the son of man is not here on a cloud yet. But, but when he is, lift up your heads and recognize that even now we stand redeemed. Even now we stand shielded in his mercy. So the things that are going wrong today, they cannot undo the death and resurrection of Jesus. They cannot undo that last great day when he will come again in glory. And so they cannot, they cannot shake us away from Christ who even now comes to us in mercy. Lift up your heads and be bold in these great days. Sing hymns like Advent hymns. Uh, because they confess the truth that, that God has redeemed us, that, that he shows up, that we are not forsaken, that we are not cut off, and that these are not simply signs of a God who is left upon uh, uh, an earth to fend for itself, but simply a reality that the end, the end is so, so near that we, we don't want to, to bow down our heads to the world. We bow down our heads to God. And, and here we can have peace with everything else. The connection between these two stanzas, stanzas three and four, I think it's very important to keep in mind those three advents that you were talking about, because in stanza three, and even as you and I were talking about it, it's very easy to get focused on that first advent of Christ and his incarnation and his birth and his ministry. And we were talking about John the Baptist, you know, actually pointing at Jesus saying, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then the hymn says, let's let's go there quickly to be forgiven. And now in stanza four, we're talking about the last day. And if all of you, if all you have is that first advent and then the final one, you're thinking, well, man, where am I going to go? Well, here's here's where we go back to where we were saying, go Go to where God shows up, go to the altar, go to hear his word, go to, to holy baptism, go to these places where God shows up. And there you in listening to that thrilling voice telling you that Christ is near for you in these places, you then will receive Christ in, in peace. And he will, you will be shielded with his mercy on that last day when you, you're not left out because you fall in between the first and third advents. No, he's coming right now to you in word and sacrament. Right. And the word is what endures. Um, the word of the Lord will endure forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away, says the Lord. And that means that even today, you are holding on to something that will endure even, even the coming of the Lord, that the word of the Lord actually survives the, the last great judgment. And you've got that now. You've got the promise of Christ. You, you have the promise of salvation, of hope, of mercy, of resurrection. And so the thing that you're holding on to now isn't fickle, but, but it will endure something that nothing else in this creation can. It, it will endure judgment. So stand underneath that. Take shelter there. And then on that last day, when you are shielded with Christ's mercy, he will draw near. It says, with words of love, he will draw near. I, I, just in my own mind, I'm, I'm picturing, for example, the scene from Matthew 25 when he welcomes those on his right, the sheep, and welcomes them and receives them into his kingdom. These are words of love that Christ is coming to speak to us on the last day, not his words of condemnation. Right. The words of condemnation have already been spoken and, and it is finished. Uh, so, so this is something that we can actually look forward to. And, and it turns then all of the things happening in the world uh, upside down a little bit because we are so afraid of all the things in the world falling apart that we're trying to prop them up. And what we get to recognize is the last great day, it, it's not everything falling apart, but it's us finally having to stop propping up the things that we think will save us because Jesus already has. You, you don't need to prop up a, a country. You don't need to prop up a government. You don't need to prop up an economy or any of the other things. Let them fall. Jesus will save you. And, and here then, the, the words that, that he meets us with on that last great day are words of love. It, it's not simply pointing out all of the places we failed and all the places we have contributed to death and destruction and downfall, but, but simply he comes to gather us in and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And just like the, the sheep that you kind of talked about in Matthew, none of them are going to be able to point to a whole lot of evidence of this where we're going to say, okay, but all the things I missed, all the places I've, your sins are forgiven you. 
your, your Lord has saved you. Be at peace. Hmm. We come then to the last stanza of the hymn, stanza five. Honor, glory, might, dominion to the Father and the Son with the ever-living Spirit while eternal ages run. That's stanza five of the hymn, Hark a Thrilling Voice is Sounding, number 345 in Lutheran Service Book. So, Pastor Goodman, we have a, in Lutheran Service Book, we have a triangle in front of stanza five. This is a doxology to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Often congregations will stand. Let's talk about some of the specific, specifics of this doxology. It starts with four words, honor, glory, might, dominion. Take us into to what's being sung. Yeah, these are Advent words. Uh, they're important because they, they don't always sort of ring clear to us. They, these are Advent words so that when we think of a, a, a triune God, it, it, we know it's time to stand up. The hymn's almost over. But here we get to recognize something else too, that that um, we, we have a specific kind of God who is drawing near to save us. We have a God of honor, glory, might, and dominion. We have a God who, even though we don't honor him, um, he, he is due honor. We have a God who is honorable. Um, so, so uh, here in, in the fact that God, even though we have not earned it, we have not deserved it. He has done honorable things. He has saved us. Uh, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, the, these, the, the triune God that we have, uh, they, they are due honor simply in the fact that they have always been honorable. We have a God who is trustworthy. We have a God who has done good and right by us in, in our salvation. Uh, and more, we have a God who is nearby. Glory is a presence word. When the glory of the Lord shone about them, that, that means God is here. Whenever, especially in the Old Testament, you see this very, very clearly. Whenever they use the word glory, uh, it, it means God is nearby. Uh, God is, is present in a meaningful way. Uh, so, so when we say glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests, we mean God is here. Uh, when we, when we talk then uh, in church, you might, there, there's these subtle little actions that we do in church. We don't have to, by no means do we have to. But they, the body language helps to kind of point out to what's happening. So during the doxology uh, with a little triangle, we, we, we might choose to stand as a congregation. You might also have a, a few people in your church or maybe your pastor who, when, when they say glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, they might bow just a little bit because it's a recognition. Mm -hmm. God is here. Pay attention. We're not just talking about him, but, but he, he, he showed up and it's, it's, it's for our good. Um, we, we have a God who, who shows up to, to bring us honor that we cannot bring to God ourselves, but that is due to him. And, and we have a God who then makes us uh, something honorable that we might return it unto him. We, we honor God simply because, well, we're his children, we're his, we're his saints, we're his holy ones. So that when he, when he shows up, we don't have to run away, but we can actually draw near to, to find shelter, to find forgiveness. And that's actually what he wants. He, he, he comes not so that we would run away from him, but so that we would draw near to him. He, he comes not so that, that he can catch us in our sin, but so that he can forgive our sins. He comes to offer us peace and comfort to, to say, do not be afraid of all of these things in the world so that, that we would joyfully come near to him. And here, here he is, is, is pleased. Uh, and so not only do we have a God who, who we, we owe honor, glory, but also might. Um, might is, is the power of God's judgment. Um, that, that the end of the world will, will not come when we break things, but when the Lord decides it's, it's time. Um, and that matters now because of all the things that we would attribute might to in the world, very, very rarely do we look to, to the mighty one of Israel. Um, really very rarely do we look to Jesus. Do we look to, to a God who would in weakness die to grant us our salvation? But, but here we have a might that even conquers death. And, and then we can finally look to dominion. And it, it's probably important that it happens in this order, because if we start with dominion first, dominion, the idea that God would have control in the world, it's hard to find. 
like we, we just have to acknowledge this, that, that the atheists are maybe onto something in all the pot shots they take at us, that if God is in control down here, what, what, what's he doing? Um, why does it hurt so bad? Um, but we can actually start to see God's dominion in the works now because we have seen what was and what will be. God's dominion now is not simply to create a world that does not ever hurt you uh, because that's actually really easy to, to create in the world. He just has to get rid of all the sinners. If God would just show up and condemn everybody who has ever made the world a worse place, like you know us, it would be a very, very clean ordered world where nobody would hurt because there would be nobody in it. But we have a God who, who works in the mess because he, he advents. He, he, he was born of a virgin into a mess into a, an utter dumpster fire where he would just jump feet first into sin to death to misery so that he would save us from them. And he has promised to come again on that last great day so that we can look and say, this world is not all there's supposed to be. There actually ought to be more than just right now. And, and I'm looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. And so when I see God at work today, it's not simply to make it hurt less for me, but it's to drag me to the resurrection of the body. When I look for, for what was and what will be, it makes the right now make a lot more sense because we have a God who is at work to, to bring us pardon, forgiveness, mercy, and life in the face of death, not simply to condemn us for causing it. If you have a God who advents to, to work mercy, then honor, glory, might, and dominion start to work together, even as the, the, the three persons of the Trinity work together. Uh, honor, glory, might, and dominion are owed to the Father and to the Son with the ever-living Spirit while eternal ages run. So yesterday, today, and forever, all of these things are due to the triune God. And, and we recognize this even as they reveal themselves uh, in, in the working of the Passion. We, we, we find in the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, the light and the uh, glory uh, of God is made manifest in, in the face of Jesus Christ. No one can come to the Father except through me. And so when we see our Lord adventing, drawing near to sinners, to, to comfort, to save, um, this, is, this is why we sing the hymn, Hark a thrilling voice is sounding, uh, Christ is near. And when we start to see this, it gets a whole lot easier, not only to, to, to conceive of a, a Father or, or to, to receive a spirit that, that proceeds from the Father and the Son, uh, but to actually see it as as a good gift from God, so that uh, again we could even just run back up to verse uh, one, stanza one, and sing the whole thing again. Uh, Cast away your works of darkness, all you children of the day. That's right. That's right. Pastor Harrison Goodman is content executive for the Lutheran or youth organization Higher Things, helping us today with hymn number three hundred thirty five. 345 in Lutheran service book, Hark a Thrilling Voice is Sounding. Pastor Goodman, thanks for being our guest today. Thanks for having me. It's not just John preaching in the wilderness, dear Christian. It is your pastor still today proclaiming to you that Christ is near. He has come as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To take away your sin, run to where he, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is found. In his word in which he speaks forgiveness to you. In his supper in which he delivers his body and blood to forgive you. Run to these places with great joy to have your sin forgiven so that when he comes in glory, you will see him with joy and hear the words of love that he speaks to you, that forever you would praise him with the Father and the Spirit, one God, now and forever. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about this series or if you would like to let us know your favorite Advent hymn, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. We'll talk to you again next week.